If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 135. Notice verse 4. It says there in Psalm 135, in the beginning of that verse, For the Lord hath chosen. And who was it that the Lord chose? He chose a sinner named Jacob. Now Jacob was a vile, wretched man. Nevertheless, God chose this man Jacob, and he made him a new creature in Christ. And because of Christ, the Prince of Peace, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, Prince of God, or, or uh, favor with God. The Lord hath chosen, and that by His sovereign grace. The Lord hath chosen Jacob, a peculiar treasure unto Himself, a purchased sinner by the blood of Christ. And Israel, He made Jacob and Israel for His peculiar purchased treasure. And that all by God's grace. Verse 5, For I know that the Lord, Jehovah, the Lord Almighty, God my Savior, I know the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. He is the great God who has great salvation in His hand to give to sinners. And He is the great high priest of His people. And I know that I'm a great sinner. And you know what this great sinner needs? I need a great Savior who has great salvation, who has all power to save me. I know that the Lord is great. I know the one who says, I am God. The one who says, beside me there is no other. I am God. And I know that our Lord is above all idols. Again, verse 5. I know, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. And notice, that's small g gods. He's above everything. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's Lord above all things. And God has made that same Jesus, whom we crucified, both Lord and Christ. And remember, He's not Lord by something we do. He's Lord by the eternal decree of Almighty God. I know the Lord is great. And He said, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Do you know that? That the Lord is great? Sitting in this auditorium, do you know that? That the Lord is great? Has He taught you that lesson? He teaches all His people that. The lesson of who the Lord is. Of who God is. And we use that term sovereign, which simply means our God reigneth. Our God reigneth. He rules absolutely supremely above all things. And I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all things, above all idols, above all people. Verse 6, And that whatsoever, that's a, that's a blessed word, is it not? All things are possible with God and that whatsoever the Lord pleased, that's what He did. Now you and I can't say that, but the Lord can. You see, our Lord's not limited. Now I'm limited, and that's because I'm a vile, filthy creature. I'm li limited in my capacities, but God's not limited in any capacity whatsoever. And whatsoever the Lord pleased, that's what He did and does. His will absolutely and always accomplishes His will. 
in heaven and in earth and the seas and all deep places. That is, he's God, the sovereign Lord over all, and he rules and reigns over all things, over all creatures, over all events, everywhere, at all times. And he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so whatsoever the Lord pleased, that's what he did. So can I find out from the scriptures what it pleased the Lord to do? Whatsoever the Lord did, whatever the Lord pleased, that's what he did in heaven and earth. Remember that old pagan king Nebuchadnezzar? Old King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, when God taught him the truth of his character, he said this from Daniel 4, verse 35. He said, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none, absolutely none, can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? None can stay his hand and say unto him, Lord God Almighty, what are you doing? My friend, we can't question what he does. Whatever he does is right. Whatever he does is true. And so what did he please, what did it please the Lord to do? We know that God works all things out of the counsel of his own will. We know that the God of the, of the scriptures is sovereign over the whole universe. He universally reigneth. He has all dominion, directing, ruling, and controlling over all things after the counsel of his own wise will and purpose. And I know this, to be occupied with the thoughts about God as he is revealed in Scripture will increase our faith and comfort our soul. You see, my friend, the way to have strong faith and real comfort is to have and know the Almighty and Sovereign God according to Scripture's. You see, our comfort and strength is not in the quantity or strength of our faith. Rather, it is in the object of our faith. You see, my faith, though it be weak, though it be fragile, though it be but a little, nevertheless, the object of my faith is almighty and strong. And because my faith is in God, indeed, it's in Him who is faithful and shall not fail. And because of that, my faith, the object of my faith, is ever strong. It's ever sure. It's ever certain. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the strength of saving faith is not in faith itself. Rather, the strength of faith is in the object of your faith. My friend, what are you looking at this morning? What are you trusting in? Well, saving faith that acknowledges the truth as one single object, and that's the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, our victorious Lord and God, and the scripture declares, whatsoever the Lord was pleased to do, that's what he did. That's what he did. So what did it please the Lord to do? What did it please our Lord and God to do? Thank God his word doesn't leave us in the dark about that. So what did it please the Lord to do? Find First Samuel, if you would, First Samuel. And look there with me in chapter 12. It pleased the Lord to sovereignly elect and choose a people. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, 
ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. And now here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you His people. So what did it please the Lord to do? The first thing we know is this. Beloved, it pleased the Lord to choose a people unto Himself. It pleased the Lord to make you His people. You see, for His great namesake, He chose a people. And we call that sovereign, unconditional, electing grace. God in eternity was pleased to choose a people and give those people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why was that? Out of His own good pleasure, that's why. And that's what He was pleased to do. And I'm so glad, I'm so thankful about that. And it pleased Him to do that. And what pleases Him, beloved, pleases me. Because I believe His Word, and His Word tells me how that before the world began, God chose to save some of His creatures, sinners. In electing eternal love, his, he predestinated them to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ in sovereign power to make them sons of grace by sovereign adoption. So when did this election take place? When did it please God to choose a people? Well, according to the scriptures, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without Him, uh, and uh, be holy and and and, uh, and without blame before Him in love. Verse 4, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. It so pleased God to choose a people unconditionally, a multitude of people out of every tribe, kindred, nation, tongue, and people under heaven, and to give them to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, as a surety in the guarantee of His covenant people. And we call that covenant love, electing love. My friend, no one questioned you when you chose your bride. Tyler, for example, when, when you chose to marry Clarissa, you made that choice, did you not? And nobody here is going to question Tyler's choice, I trust, because Tyler made that choice. And beloved, we're not going to question God's choice. He chose his bride in eternity. He chose his elect, and his bride is called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for his bride. He loved the church and gave himself for it. And so I'm not going to question whom our Lord chooses to marry. Are you? I'm not going to question him. I mean, that's his business. It's his prerogative, his sovereign prerogative. And so I'm not going to question God about that. So when did he do this choosing? In eternity, beloved, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And it pleased God to do so. So why did He choose some to save? Simply because it pleased Him to do so. Why did God choose to save some from their sin 
and pass others by, leaving them to justly perish under his wrath? Simply this, because he will have mercy on whom he will. You see, God is sovereign in salvation. So then, Scripture teaches us, salvation is not of the creature that willeth, nor of the creature that runneth, but of the Creator. Salvation is of God that showeth mercy. So what did it please God to do? Well, it pleased Him to choose a multitude of sinners and to give them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know this, all who were chosen by God in eternal election and given to the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. And not one for whom Christ died can perish. Not, not at all. He said, All that the Father hath given me will come to me, and those that come to me I will in no wise cast out. Our Lord declares, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but shall raise it up again at the last day. I'll lose not one, not one sheep, not one lamb, but raise them up at the last day. They will hear the gospel, they will believe the gospel, and they will receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God chose them to be just like his darling, well-pleasing son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they cannot perish. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So what's the first thing it pleased God to do? It pleased the Lord to choose his people. Now, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ is the surety of the covenant and the sacrifice of the covenant, God cannot save his people apart from his holy character and his holy law being satisfied. Our Heavenly Father cannot save his, his people apart from his holy character and his holy law being satisfied. You see, beloved, our sin debt has to be paid. So we see here the second thing. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. What did it please the Lord to do? It pleased the Lord, Isaiah 53, verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, to bruise his well-pleasing son. You see that? Somebody had to die. The wages of sin is death, and the Lord Jesus Christ paid my sin debt in full. He satisfied every precept of God's holy law through his obedient life. You see, he lived as a real man, honoring God's law. In every aspect, he did love God with all his heart, with all his mind, and all of his soul, and, in, and, and with all of his strength. The Lord, our Heavenly Father, is well pleased for his Son's righteousness' sake, for he will magnify the law, and make it honorable. Isaiah forty two twenty one. You see, beloved, he is the perfect man who honored God in every rule, precept, and commandment, and thereby he worked out a perfect righteousness, and not for himself. He did not work out that perfect righteousness for himself, but rather for us, his people. And not only that, beloved, in his death he satisfied the penalty of that law, and the penalty of that law is the guilty must die. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ died as our substitute. He died in our room and in our stead, being bearing, bearing the full weight and judgment of our sin, our sin being reckoned to him by God's imputing our sin to our substitute. And when sin was found upon the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, it pleased the Father to bruise his Son in my place, for he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt, shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper 
in his hand. Did you hear that? The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You see, it pleased God to choose a people. And it pleased God to save and to justify those people by the death and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of those people that were given to him in eternity, in order to redeem them and to justify them, he had to shoulder their sin debt. That's Christ and him crucified. That's substitution and satisfaction. Beloved, what happened at Calvary's cross was not an accident. Rather, it pleased God to bruise the Lord Jesus Christ when the justice of God fell upon him. You see, this is God's appointed sacrifice for sin and righteousness. This is God's lamb, and he died the appointed sacrifice at the appointed time for his appointed people, those chosen and given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father hath made his well-pleasing, sinless Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, the work man did at Calvary was not sufficient to put away our sin. Rather, it's what God was doing at the cross. That's our hope, and it pleased God to bruise him. Now, we know it pleased those Jews. They hated him. We know it pleased Pilate. He despised him. But what we must understand about the cross is that it pleased God for Christ to come and die in the room instead of his people. That's what pleased the Lord to do. And I'm so thankful and glad for that. How that it pleased the Lord to send Christ, to make Christ stand as my surety and die in my room and place. You see, when I look at the hell of that cross, that's what I deserve. That's the death I deserve. He took my place, substitution, and God's Son being made to be my substitute, He satisfied the Father. And thirdly, Here's the third thing it pleased God to do. It pleased him by and through the preaching of the gospel to call out his sheep. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross... That's the message of the cross. Christ and Him crucified. Substitution and satisfaction. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Have not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of, of, of uh, wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God, notice, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it pleased God not only to choose a people, not only that, and, and not only that, but that the Lord Jesus Christ should come and die in our room and in our stead as our substitute to satisfy God's law and justice. And not only that, beloved, in time, he sends us a faithful gospel preacher to tell us the truth about God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and he calls us with the gospel concerning him. 
You see, there must be a hearing of the gospel of God's grace. You cannot trust an unknown, unrevealed Christ. It pleased God to call out His people through the preaching of the gospel, and that's the wisdom of God. Beloved, never underestimate the importance of true gospel preaching. The gospel is setting forth the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done and where He is now. I wouldn't make much of the preacher, but I'd make much of the preaching. For God has ordained preaching to the salvation, to the calling and saving of His people. Turn to Second Thessalonians, if you would. Second Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we see another scripture. I pray the Lord will grant us to understand what is set forth here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, notice he says in verse 13, We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. That's God's electing choice through sanctification. That's regeneration. Again, beginning from the, from the beginning, chosen you to salvation. That's God's electing choice. Through sanctification, that's regeneration of the Spirit and belief of the truth, capital T truth, that's, that's redemption by the Son. Whereunto he called you, verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel, by the preaching of the gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I turn over to Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, Beloved, we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, we read there, Paul writing to young Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, that's Christ. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And notice that last word there. That's a singular word. Doctrine, singular. The doctrine of Christ. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So we see there the necessity of declaring and preaching the truth as it is revealed in the Scriptures, as it is in Jesus who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what He has accomplished. We know through Scripture how that of His own will begat He us with the word of truth. You see, we're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, the word of God. So there must be in this birth and in this calling out, there must be the seed, the word of truth, and that's the word of God, the truth of God, and the Spirit of God. You see, God will take that truth and quicken the hearts of His people and effectually call them out with the gospel. And that's the third thing. Now, fourthly, find Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. What did it please the Lord to do? Turn to Galatians chapter 1, and let's see if we can find out here what it, what it did please the Lord to do. Galatians 1, look at verse 15. 
But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. What did it please the Lord to do? It would please the Lord to save His people by His justifying almighty grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, an important question. When will a sinner be saved? Well, look at this blessed answer in verse 15. When it pleases God. When it pleased the Lord is what our our brother said. Now, in false religion, they say, well, when a man is saved, you know, they, 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 they answer the question this way. When will a man be saved? And false religion vainly thinks when he walks an aisle or when he prays through, when he makes a decision, or when he shakes the preacher's hand. My friend, those things are not salvation. Just this past week, somebody showed me the website of a church that's local in the area, Emmanuel Baptist Church, and they had a form on the website, and uh, in effect the button said, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm sure they were really delighted about that button, but that's not salvation, beloved. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Not only, beloved, has he done a work for us in the cross of his dear son, but in time, when that effectual call comes, that holy calling of the Spirit, Paul says, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son, notice that little word, in, (laughs) ever so blessedly in me. Not merely to me, beloved, in me. So when will a sinner be saved? When will a sinner be saved? When God is pleased to do a work of grace in the heart and to make us new creatures in Christ and call us by the gospel and reveal Christ in our hearts and saving power. You see, according to the scriptures, sinners are saved by almighty grace and that when it pleases God to reveal the gospel to our heart for the salvation of his elect is a heart work. Salvation of the Lord in its origination, in its execution, in its application, in its sustaining power, and its ultimate perfection is of the Lord. Salvation is a heart work begun by God, carried out by God, and finished by God's almighty sovereign power and love. And that's the only kind of grace there is. Now look in... Uh, Philippians, would you? Turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. My friend, salvation is a heart work. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has done a justifying work for us. But there must be that work within us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says there, Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, we're confident, we're persuaded that God which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, will perfect it, will accomplish it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's God who revealed His Son, not merely to me, but ever so blessedly in me. You see, salvation is a heart work of God, and it's a good work. Well, whose work is it? My friend, it's God's work. Who starts the work? He does. Being confident of this very thing, that God who has begun a good work in you will perform it, will perfect it, will finish it. And beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ never starts a job and quits. If he's ever started a work in you, he'll finish his work of salvation in you 
And this is all by the working power of God's grace. Is there anyone present who finds himself murmuring or saying, well, a sinner must believe, a sinner must repent? Well, yes, that's true. But that too is a gift of God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And not only is faith the gift of God, but the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted to give us repentance. We read in Acts 5, verse 31, Him, speaking there, Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, Him hath God raised with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to His people, spiritual Israel, and forgiveness of sins. So here's, those are, those are four things, and here's the fifth one. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Here's the fifth thing that, the, that, that pleased the Lord to do. Colossians chapter 1, and beginning in verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. That's what pleased God to do. How that all authority... All power, all salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It pleased God to do that, to put all salvation in Christ Jesus the Lord. You see, He made peace with God, verse 20, through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. This is what it pleased God to do. It pleased God that all the fullness of salvation should dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 2, verse 9. For in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Beloved God Almighty, in eternity, pleased and purposed by his sovereign will to put all salvation in Christ Jesus alone. He's all of salvation. He's all and in all. See what it says there in Colossians 1, again, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. It pleased God that in the Lord Jesus Christ that all the fullness of my righteousness before God should dwell. So how good do I have to be to stand before God? To be accepted? I have to be perfect. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a perfect, justifying righteousness. I'm no longer going about to establish my own. Rather, by God's grace, I'm resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is all my righteousness. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, I count everything lost and ruined, that I might win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the obedience of Jesus Christ. For all the fullness of my righteousness dwells in Christ alone. As a matter of fact, we read in Scripture, Blessed, indeed happy, is that man to whom God would impute righteousness without works. There's absolutely no contribution on my part it's not expected, and nor can I give anything to commend myself to God. For all my righteousnesses are but filthy rags. But in Christ I have a perfect righteous rope. 
I have the fullness of the righteousness of God's king. You see, it's his righteousness that justifies me before my God. And not only that, but I have further to that the fullness of redemption complete and a total and complete deliverance from all my sin. You see, I must have both. I must have a justifying righteousness and I must have all my sin put away. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have the fullness of both. Think of it, beloved. What joy it is for me to tell sinners of all the fullness of my righteousness to justify me before God and Christ. And all my sins and all the fullness of my debt that I most certainly could not pay, I can't put away one sin, not one, but the Lord Jesus Christ appeared once in the end of the age to put away all my sins by the sacrifice of himself. You see, beloved, by himself he obtained for us eternal redemption with his own precious blood, and by his sacrifice all my sin is gone. And so much so that God says this of his people. If you're making notes, two times our Lord condescends to tell us this blessed truth. Uh, Hebrews 8, verse 12, and Hebrews 10, verse 17. Your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You see, I have the fullness of righteousness. I have the fullness of redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. I have the fullness of righteousness. I have the fullness of redemption. I have the fullness of salvation. You see, beloved, and and you know this, how that He saves us with an everlasting salvation. He gives His sheep eternal life, and He says they'll never perish. Now, how can that be? because I have the fullness of salvation in Christ Jesus. So by way of review, what did the Lord do? What, What did it please the Lord to do? Number one, it pleased the Lord to make you His people. Number two, it pleased the Lord to bruise His Son. Number three, it pleased the Lord to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to every sinner. Number four, it pleased the Lord to save His people by His grace. And not by accident or by a second chance. Oh, no. He did that on purpose. And number five, it pleased the Lord to put all the fullness of redemption and righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the Lord would hide that in our hearts. I know His love will cause that word to abide with us. For what pleases God, so too pleases His people. It's our delight, beloved to take pleasure in what pleases God. I'm so thankful that we are made willing, gladly to bow to God's sovereign will and salvation. And we say with God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Thy sight. To conclude, let's look at that portion in Matthew 11 I just read from. Matthew 11. I'll begin reading there in verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. 
Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen.